Well, good morning. Good to see each one of you today. We, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed being in Hawaii. Isn't that like an understatement? Right? And nobody prays for you when you go to Hawaii. If you go, you go to Siberia, everybody's praying for you. You go to Hawaii, I'm not praying for you. You know, you're just jealous, just eat up inside because I didn't go to Hawaii. Amen? Well, um, we are glad to be back. So thankful for uh, each and every one of you. And just, uh, again, just made us appreciate. Being away makes us appreciate you even more. And uh, there's a thousand reasons why, and they all have your name on them. It's because uh, of you. And that is what makes the church the body of Christ. It's what we do together and how we work together, how we love one another, and how we get to know each other and even overcome the quirks in each, each of our life. Amen? Anybody got a quirk? Right? A couple of you got quirks. The rest of you are in self-denial, so it's okay. We'll get there. Um, let me just tell you what I sensed when I walked in the room today, and I, and I just feel like it's a word for uh, today. Uh, just a couple of different things were spinning in my mind. One of them is the word distraction. And I just really felt like today was a day of distraction. Um, and I don't know if that applies to you in your life. It certainly was a sense that I had when I walked in the service uh, this morning, the first service. And what I want to say about that is that distractions always are distracting. Now, let me tell you, that doesn't sound real profound until you just wait a minute. What happens is when things are happening in your life, they're distracting you because God has got a purpose for you that's beyond what you see. And what we do in distractions is we get focused on those things that are disrupting our normal way of life. And it can be something as little as a conversation. It can be something very big in your life. But those distractions are are a reminder to go, thank you, God. When you have a distraction, when you have a disruption in your life, stop, pause, thank God, say, God, I thank you because the enemy is trying to get me off track. There must be something bigger you have for me So if I will just set aside the distractions and focus on you for a moment, I'll have clarity about what you're up to in my life. The other thing that that I really had a strong sense of is this idea of identity, that I really feel like there's some people in the house today who came in with a real lack of identity, that not really knowing something about who you are and, and your value before God and I, and I want you just to stop for a moment, and I want you to just move an inch in the direction of God. You see, when, we're, when we're, we're lacking identity in our life or lacking worth or value in our life, what our tendency is is to pull back and become more isolated. And when you come back and you, pull, you become more isolated, it doesn't help the problem. It just increases the problem. But if you will move forward one inch, God will move forward toward you 100 inches, so to speak. Because what's happening is you're saying, no, wait a minute, I need to see who am I And my real purpose and meaning is always found in God, and I am the creation of God. You are created by God in his image, and you have value because of that alone. If nothing else were true, you never did anything, accomplished anything, your mother never told you that she loved you, your father never, you never knew your father, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If all you know is that God loves you, he created you with a divine destiny and divine purpose. When you move into that realm, instantly you can have identity. Because you see, it's not about what others said about you or to you. It's not what you've accomplished or haven't accomplished. Those are, those are meaningless when it comes to identity. In fact, those become, if you have a lot of that in your life, sometimes those are a distraction to your identity. 
because you get so caught up in my success or what people said about me or my grades or my, you know, who loved me, who didn't love me, all those things. You get so caught up in it, it becomes a distraction to the very core of who you are. You are created by God in his image, therefore you have worth, period. Um, last night we were uh, sitting on the couch and and all of a sudden we heard this noise. It was a, it was a helicopter around our, our house there in our neighborhood. And there was a, a policeman on the loudspeaker, and he was announcing that there was trying to get some fugitive, some armed fugitive who apparently was in our neighborhood to come out of the bushes and, uh, and give himself up. And, you know, and then he talked, and then he was saying, we're going to let the dogs loose and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there going, Tammy, this is serious. Go out there and check. <laughs> Right? I mean, because, you know, look, look, you face me, it's one thing. You, f- you face an angry woman. I mean, it's, there's just no end to this, right? So she, so she goes, and she says, Phil, come out here. There's something going on. And so, um, so I, I went ahead and, and, and checked it out and, and did what every red-blooded American would do, and I went and got the spatula out of the kitchen, and, and in my box of shorts, I'm facing the enemy. But anyway, fortunately, all settled down, and I was good. And it was just kind of like the disruptions... You see, started early. Disruptions started early. And I want you to think about disruptions in your life, but I want you to think about them as just what they are. They're a distraction to what God wants to do. There's something that God wants to say to you today, but he can't say it unless you deal with a distraction in your life before he says it. Because all you will hear is this pounding of the distraction. Whether you're hurt, offended, misunderstood, angry, sad, happy, it doesn't matter. If it's a distract, it's going to keep you from hearing from God, you have to set it aside. It's critically important to what we want to say today. Um, I want to tell a story. It's a, it's a great story. It's a true story about Char- Charles uh, Blowden. And Charles was a tightrope walker. And he was a very famous one. In fact, we have a picture of him here that you can take a look. This is uh, an actual photo taken of Charles crossing Niagara Falls. Now, he was quite a, a showman. In fact, what he did was he walked uh, in 1859. He crossed over the Niagara Falls and on a rope, about a two-inch rope, 1,300 feet. He promised that every time he walked across the rope, he would do a greater feat than he had done before. And 25,000 people showed up in 1859 to watch him walk, walk on this rope. And not only that, but President Fillmore was in attendance. And, uh, and so he was showing off. He was doing all this stuff. He would somersault on it. He would do backflips on it. He would walk backwards. He even carried his manager on his back across the rope. On another time, he took a small stove out, and he cooked an omelet out on the rope. So he was a pretty amazing uh, tightrope walker. Well, on one occasion, he, when the president was there, he said, he took a wheelbarrow, he pushed it across Niagara, he pushed it back across, and everybody cheered because before that he said, how many of you think I can push this wheelbarrow across? And, of course, the crowd was totally into it, right? And then he said, he brought it back, he said, how many of you think I can push it across with a man in the wheelbarrow? Well, they all went crazy. Everybody said, I said, who would volunteer? And the crowd went deathly silent. You see, there's a difference between belief and trust or faith. 
It's one thing to say, I believe. It's another thing to be in the middle of faith. And unless you understand the difference between the two, you can find yourself living your Christian life in the world of belief and never having faith. You can be, it's the difference between being deceived and being convinced. It's the difference between knowing God and almost knowing God. I want to put a diagram up here uh, on the board for you, and I think it'll start to illustrate this, and then we're going to give you some scripture. If we think about um, the Christian life, we use a term called saved, and saved means that I've been rescued by God from sin, that I was separated from God, but God saved me just as surely as if I were drowning in an ocean and God reached down and picked me up or someone threw me a life preserver. There's another circle that we want to talk about, and that's a circle of sincere. And I think that there are a lot of people that are honestly sincere in saying, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. And they sincerely believe it. There's no doubt in their mind that they're a Christian, but there's doubt in their heart. And that doubt in their heart is that separation between the difference between knowing God and knowing about God. It's a difference about belief and about faith and trust in that one who did what he said he did. And that can make all the difference in the world. Then there's another circle called seeking. And there are people that are seeking after God. They know they don't know God, but they're seeking after God. They're saying, yes, I want to know God. I'd like to know God. Um, It's like a person saying, you know, if there's a God, I would like to know him. That's what we call an agnostic. Thank you. That's what we call an agnostic. Uh, agnostic is, a, is someone who says, uh, there may be a God, but I don't know him or I don't think I can know him. That's different between an atheist who says there is no God. Now, whenever you put that little A in front of a word in a Greek, in a Greek or Latin word, it, it negates it. So we put A in front of the word theist, that means there is no God. A in front of the word gnosis, gnosis knowledge is a word for knowledge, that means no knowledge. So an atheist says there is no God, which is the most arrogant position in the world. Because an atheist is saying, um, I know that there is no God anywhere, that I've examined every religion, every philosophy, I've traveled everywhere in the world, in the universe, and I can categorically say there is no God. I love talking to atheists because all of them convert to agnosticism by the time I'm done. Because all of them come to the realization that I can't be that convinced. So they, ha- they have to slip into this world of saying, well, maybe there is a God. If there is a God, even Carl Sagan in his books, he opens a possibility, well, maybe there is a God. Albert Einstein, maybe there is a God. All of them do the very same thing because it's woven into your heart that there is a God. Now, moving a person from an agnostic into a relationship with Jesus Christ is a little bit tougher decision because now they have to come, they have to narrow it down from all the gods of the universe that they've heard about to the one true God. And so a lot of times the the real stickler point of it is, well, you know, you Christians are all so narrow-minded. How can you believe that you have the right way? How can Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes a father except by me? That seems very narrow-minded. But narrow-minded is a good quality, is it not? I mean, let's think about narrow-mindedness and how you react to it. You take your car in, you want a new muffler. You're expecting the bill's going to be about $80, maybe $100. And then you get a bill for $1,000. And the guy says, well, you know what, Uh, and you turn the car on, it still sounds like the old muffler. 
He said, well, it sounds like the old muffler. Well, it is the old muffler because, you know what, I was just into brakes today. And I really don't like muffler work. It's just, it's just hard work. So I went ahead and put new brakes on your car, but you still need a muffler. And he said, wait a minute, I brought my car in for a muffler. You can't charge me from brakes. And the mechanic says, don't be so narrow-minded. Well, that's a good thing, right? How about you go into the doctor and you're going to have a minor procedure done, maybe a little skin lesion taken off or something, and, and you go in there and you wake up and you're missing a leg. Hey, Doc, where's my leg? You still got the mark on your skin. Well, you know what? I just, I've always wanted to take a leg off. I don't know why. Just to, This was your lucky day. I'm not going to charge you. It's just all on the house. Don't worry about it. And what are you going to say? You know, the doctor said, well, wait, I, I want this. No, and the doctor says, don't be so narrow-minded. Narrow-mindedness works in every dimension of life, except people don't want it to work in the world of Christianity. Because somehow that's objectionable that there could actually be an answer to the problems you face. There could actually be a God who, who did what he said he did, would come through, could be verified in Scripture, could be verified prophetically, could be verified in history. That just seems too difficult for someone who to, to grab, put their arms around, but the real issue is there's a resistance to God himself. So when we think about life, I want to take you to the scripture that got me thinking on this subject. It's James chapter 2 and verse 19. And listen to what it says. You believe that there is one God. You do well, even the demons believe and tremble. You realize that in this scripture, that the, this idea of believing in one God doesn't quite go far enough, does it? Because it says, even the demons of hell believe, but notice what they do. They tremble. There are people today who say, I believe in God, but there is no fear or respect of God in their life. There's nothing that says, well, the word of God says that, but I, I'm really not too concerned about that in my life. You see, if you believe there is a God, the God who revealed himself, who did what he said he did, uh, and promised what he said he promised, then why would I want to veer off from the truth? When God created you, he created you as a tripart being, and if we could illustrate it kind of like this, it'd be body, soul, and spirit. What happens in people when they begin to pray? They'll say, you know, I really, I was praying about it, and God showed me this, and I feel really good about it. But it totally contradicts the way God works in your world, and it contradicts the Word of God. You know what that means? Your emotions are wrong. You see, prayer was never given to us as a, as a way to verify truth. That's what the Word of God does. Prayer is a way to connect with God in the spiritual realm, to hear from God, but always have to be tested back over here in the realm of the Word of God. So what happens is we get out of balance, and we get out of balance like this. And all of a sudden, our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, they begin to dictate our life. So we'll hear people all the time saying, hey, Pastor, um, you know, I really prayed about this, and this is where I'm going. And I'm going, well, but do you know what the Scripture says about that? Yeah, I know what it says about that, but I just felt like God spoke to me. Did you ever think that maybe that wasn't God speaking to you? Maybe that was you speaking to you, trying to get where you wanted to go in life. 
And you were listening to your emotions. You see, God gave you the capacity to do something very powerful, and that is to exercise your will in such a way that you look at truth, and then you can apply it to your mind, your will, and your emotions, your spirit man, your entire being. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 4 that the Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between the soul, mind, will, and emotions, and the spirit. If these are not divided, this runs into it, and you think you're hearing from God. You're not hearing from God at all. You're hearing from you. I've had people say, how do you know the difference between the voice of Satan and the voice of God in your heart? It's really easy. Satan always nags. You're going to do that, aren't you? You're going to do that. You deserve that, don't you? You don't deserve that. And, and God always speaks in a still, small voice. He just reveals himself, and he typically reveals it through a principle found in Scripture or Scripture itself. And God never nags. He'll say something like this, be still and know that I'm God. Satan will say, you know, God's really not fair. You know, God's, if God loved you, he would really do this. That's the voice of the enemy. Or that's the voice of your hurt feelings of the past. And you have to set those aside because those are distractions in your life. And you find yourself operating in this realm of belief, but without really faith. Let me give you that, book, that scripture in James again from the Passion Translation. It says it uh, even, even more fuller and richer. It says, you can believe all you want that there is one true God. That's wonderful, but even the demons know this and tremble with fear before him, yet they're unchanged. They remain demons. So we want to have a changed life. Jesus talked about those who would come to him who were sincere, and they said, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. They were sincere, but they were not saved. There were those who came seeking like the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10, but the price was too big to pay. you got to give up everything to follow me. And it wasn't that he wanted him to, to liquidate everything he had. He wanted him to say, nothing can come before me. If anything comes before me, you can't be saved. And once you're saved, that's the battle you will face every day. Am I putting God first or me first? That is every day. Because, you see, Jesus had a ministry of inconvenience. He never made it convenient to follow him. He always put the challenge out there, way out there, because he wanted true disciples to come and follow him because they were going to be the change agents on planet Earth. Even when one man said, you know what, uh, my father died, I need to go bury him. He says, let the dead bury the dead, you come follow me. He wasn't being insensitive, he was making a point. He knew what was in that man's heart. What was in his heart was, I'm going to find anything I can to delay following after you. Another guy said, I bought a field. I've got to go look at it. He says, you know what? Don't worry about it. You know, come follow me. He was making the price here so high that, because he said, if I don't get the right quality of disciples, I can't change the world. Let me take you to another scripture. Acts chapter 19 and verse 15, and then I'll read the context to you once I show this to you. It says, an evil spirit replied, I know by experience Jesus and what I've done is I've, I've given you the different the meanings of the different Greek words. He says here, there's multiple words for the word know. So he says here, I know by experience, Jesus, but I know by acquaintance or fix one's attention on Paul, but who are you? You see, it's, it's a sad day when, when the demons don't know that you exist. 
People wake up and they say, I don't know, I, uh, all day long the devil's been on my side. He hasn't left me alone. No, no, no. He doesn't spend that much time with anybody. He can only be in one place at one time. Only God can be all places at one time. So if he's with you, he's not with anybody else. And the demons, if they don't know your name, that means you're not disrupting the kingdom enough, the kingdom of darkness enough that they have to spend much time on you. Most of the time what we're attributing to the enemy is really our own lack of commitment to God and God's word, to not walking in the spirit of God. And so what happens is our mind starts playing tricks on us, and we go, well, I guess God doesn't love me. The enemy's pounding me. No, no, no. What you do is just move back into the Word and into the light and into the Spirit. You'll be surprised how much you feel the presence of Almighty God. Amen? Are you with me on this one? These are tough words, but these are Jesus' principles. And if we can really get our hand around them, the moment where you say, well, I, how do I do that every day? How do I do that the rest of my life? Don't worry about the rest of your life. Figure it out if you can do it for the next hour. When you get to that hour, go another hour. Get to that hour, do another hour. Get to that day, get another day. And you just see, keep following hard after Jesus Christ. Now let me read you the context, Acts chapter 19, if you want to look in your Bibles. This is beginning in verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. And here's some of the miracles he worked. That even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out from them. So this is a truly miraculous moment in the, in the life of the ministry of Paul, where there, that people are being healed simply by the clothing that, that Paul wear, or the shadow that he cast on someone. So that's pretty amazing. Well, notice what was watching. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So these weren't Christians. These were people who went around practicing. Their faith was Judaism, but they were practicing exorcism. They were claiming to be able to cast out demonic spirits of people. They saw what Paul was doing, and they said, we want that power. We want to be able to do that because look how the crowds follow after Jesus. And notice what it says. We exercise you, so they, they begin to practice this, by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were also seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. Now here comes a scripture we just read. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? That's a sobering day. When the demon looks at you and says, I don't even know who you are. What we want is we want all the demons in hell to know who we are. We want to be able to disrupt the darkness so much that they fear our name. Like that song, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. That needs to be the motto of our life. But notice verse 16, then the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's a really bad day. That's a debasing day in your life, you know, when you tried to do something good for God and you ended up leaving wounded and without clothes on. Verse 17, this became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and notice what happened. Fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. The disruption that was happening there, what was the end result? Fear fell on everyone, and what? The Lord Jesus was magnified. It goes on to say, many believed came confessing and telling their deeds. So out of this disruptive moment in this historical time, people came forward and they began to confess what they had done wrong and they became followers of Christ. 
and it goes on to say this. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled to be 50,000 pieces of silver or about $3 million in today's money. Now, what is what they did? They burned their books. They brought them all together. They counted up the value, and it was about $3 million. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Okay, so what happened? What happened was when they dealt with the things in their life that needed to be dealt with, God was magnified. There are people in this room that need to deal some stuff. You need to burn some stuff. You need to turn it over to God because God can't be glorified and his word can't be magnified until you do that. And you know what it is. Every one of us know. Every one of us hold on to stuff. We go, if I just get that in my life, wow, my life would be so much easier. I'd be so much more committed to Jesus Christ. Let's do that. Let's do that today before we go any further. Because what, what I think what everybody in this room wants, they want to know, I want to know for certain that I'm saved and I want to have power in my life. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean you're without problems. I mean, you know, you can, you can be a, a strong follower of Christ, but that doesn't mean all your problems disappear. You know, I love that story of Jesus in, when he's crossing the, the Sea of Galilee and then he's sleeping in the middle of a storm. See, that's when you have the peace of God, when you can sleep in the middle of a storm. And the disciples, seasoned fishermen, they wake him up. Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're perishing? He gets up, you know, grinds a little bit of sand out of his eyes, looks around, looks to the wind, the waves, rebukes them, then goes back to sleep. And I, what I love about the story, it says that when, before they woke him, they were fearful, but after he calmed the waves and the sea, it says they were very fearful. Because when God gets in your boat, that is disruptive. But you see, do you want to be in the sea without God in your boat? Or do you, you just want to be on your own? Let me just navigate my own course, no God in my boat. No, we want God in the boat. But when God gets in your boat, he's disrupting your world in a good way. Amen? Let me try it again. When God's disrupting your world, he's disrupting it in a good way. Amen? Amen? All right, that's better. Because it's true. It's so true. And we want to fall back in disruption and distractions and all those things are going on. We'll fall back into this emotion, what am I going to do? You're going to give God the glory is what you're going to do. You're going to say, thank you, God, that you counted me worthy to put me in a challenging situation because no sailor was ever created on a calm sea. It took disruption to get me to that place of strength and to be able to navigate through difficult waters in my life because God was proving me. He was taking out of me everything that didn't look like him so that I could walk in his power and in his strength. And then when I face the biggest obstacle in my life, I can laugh at it because I know it's small compared to the one I'm going to face later. Have you ever thought about that? I've had this, I mean, I've heard this my whole life. I don't know what I'm going to do. This, no one, no one has ever faced anything like this in their life. I go, oh my gosh, tell me what it is. And they'll tell me and I'll start laughing. They go, why are you laughing? That's like child's play. You wouldn't believe some of the stories I could tell. Wouldn't you love to just have a tell-all sermon? I'll tell everything on everybody that everything, everybody's told me in one week. Some of you go, oh, no, not me. I ain't talking no more. I'm done. Here's a couple of truths. 
There are no demons who profess to be atheists. They know better. Here's another truth. Secondhand faith is powerless. If you're relying on your friend's faith to get you through it, you're in trouble already. If you're relying on your parents' faith, your grandparents' faith to get you through it, you're in trouble already. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And last one, question, does hell know your name? Does hell know your name? All right, we're talking a series on famous. Let me just talk to you about Jesus. Jesus is famous in heaven. I'm going to give you some scriptures. First one is his baptism, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. The heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So heaven is giving testimony in that moment, this is my Son. We'll go on a little bit further here. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he is transfigured. That is, his in full glory of his second coming is given to them in that moment. It's a great passage. You should read it. Matthew 17, verse 5, it says, A bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And notice it adds this, Hear him. In his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the foundation of the world. So Jesus was saying, I've done my mission. I'm ready to go back to be ascended to the Father. You're going to restore unto me the glory I had before the creation of the world. He's also famous on earth. Mark chapter 1 and verse 28, and immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. So as Jesus went about doing good, people began to talk about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about what Jesus is doing? Can I just tell you that I want you talking about Jesus wherever you go? A lot of people say, have you heard about our church? Have you been to Influence Church? I'd rather hear you say, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? You see, there's no life in Influence Church by itself. The life is in Jesus. Once you tell them about Jesus, you can invite them to your church, but always start with Jesus. I don't want you to tell them about me or anybody else on staff. I want you to talk about Jesus because Jesus, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Amen? And so he's famous on earth. Let me give you another one. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24, it says, Then his fame went throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him sick people who were afflicted, various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Why? Because there was power in the name of Jesus on earth. Let me give you one more, famous in hell. Jesus is famous in hell. Demons know their final destiny. This is amazing when you begin to see and really study some of these things. Mark chapter 1 and verse 24. The demons said, leave us alone. Let us alone. Can you imagine that? You walk into a room, the demons start going, would you just get out of here? Would you leave us alone? Why are you bothering us? That's when you know you got something going in your life. Amen? 
All right, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? It's really interesting. They knew that he was a burden or problem to them. They knew his name and where he was born. Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So these demons knew his name. They knew where he was from. They knew he was disruptive, and they knew he was the Holy One of God himself. Matthew chapter 8, 29. Demons said, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Do you notice that demons knew their destiny? They just didn't know when. They knew there was coming a point in history, a final reckoning in history, when they would be judged and totally cast out and destroyed. And they're saying to Jesus, is this the time? Is this it? This must be it. One more, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. The devil has come down having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. You see, all these demonic beings, what they have in common is all of them know who Jesus is. All of them know their destiny. And they know that there's no future beyond what they're, the disruption they're bringing on planet Earth. So here's the question I have to you. Do you know your final destiny? Do you know this? I have people all the time, I'd say, are you a Christian? Have you been saved? And they'll say, I hope so. They're sincere. Or they'll say, no, but I'd like to know. They're seeking. But what you want to do is be able to say, I don't have a hope so kind of faith. I have a no so kind of faith. I know for certain that I know God. Now, sometimes we get confused because we go through that. We really know we're saved, but because we haven't been applying God's Word to our life and walking in the Spirit, we are immature in our faith. We're ungrounded, and so we're like, we're like waves on the sea. We're just tossed to and fro in our life, and one day we love Jesus, and next day we don't, we don't even know where Jesus is. We're not even concerned about it. But I want you to know that once you really know him, you have to be on course to say, I'm going to follow after this ministry of inconvenience. It's going to be costly for me to follow Jesus, but it's going to cost me more if I don't. I mean, I could write a book about the people who were, were hard after Jesus, then got away from him, and then came back, and their life was so destroyed and so disrupted and I don't mean because they lost all their money or they lost their family. I just mean they're just so unhappy. And it happens so gradual, so easy, that you can miss out on what's really happening in your life. You just, well, I just missed reading my Bible one week, or I just missed going to church, or I just miss, missed praying. And, you, and, you, and it accumulates over time, and before you know it, you feel like God is a million miles away. No, he's not. You are. He never moved. You kept moving. Do you know your final destiny? Listen to what it says in Luke 15 and verse 7. Jesus continued in the same way that there will be a glorious celebration in heaven. Do you know God likes to throw parties? How many of you like birthday parties? You like birthday parties, right? How many like to throw? Some of you like experts at throwing birthday parties. You know, you just, I just love throwing birthday parties. The other person may not like the birthday party, but you, do, you don't care. You, you like having parties because you're a party person. Amen? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Do you know that God is one of those? He loves to throw parties. 
Every time somebody gets saved, he throws a party. You know why? Because it's another birthday. You get two birthdays in the kingdom. You get one physical, you get one spiritual. You're born again. So God pulls out all the stops. Look what it says. A glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, who comes back home, returns to the fold, more than all the righteous people who never strayed away. That's really cool. Do you know your destiny? Have you had the birthday party in heaven yet? Are you sincerely knowing that, or are you just, are you in the sincere world, or you really know for, without a doubt, you're saved? I want to give you one more scripture. I want to pull all these three things together, heaven, earth, and hell. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. God also has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, you get a choice. You can bow your knee here voluntarily, or you, volu or you bow your knee there at the judgment under compulsion. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know your destiny? Do you know for certain that you know him? Why don't you stand with me, and I'm going to, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And a prayer is, uh, is going to be my words, but it can be your faith. I'm going to ask you just to pray it out loud. You say, I've already prayed this prayer. That's okay. You may be sitting next to someone who hasn't prayed this prayer, who doesn't know for certain that they're saved, and they need the encouragement. But I want you to know this prayer, even though they're my words, it's your faith. And you're actually entering into this realm of belief. Belief like a little child, just sincere, moving in the right direction. I want to know God. Prayer goes like this one. Let's just bow your heads and close your eyes. Dear Lord Jesus, just say it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for my sins. You were buried in a tomb, rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I believe on the Lord, and I believe your word is true. Now listen to me just for a moment. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, here's the promise, you will be saved. If that was your sincere prayer, you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Bible says, as you exercise faith in that, that you are saved. Now in your own words, right where you stand or sit, would you just thank him for saving you? Just thank him right now in your own words. Just take a moment and do that. Today, if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up? This is a confession of your own faith. God bless you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. By right, 10 or 15 of you. All right. Amen. God bless you. Now let me tell you something. Now, now the work begins. Now you pursue him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. If you fail, get back up and keep moving, pursuing God in everything you do. Amen. 
So we're going we're gonna to close with a chorus here. And this chorus, I want you just to be singing out thankfulness to him. Amen? Just thanking Jesus for all he's doing, okay? Let's just sing. I love the name of Jesus. Can we just have the lights on for a moment? Amen. Now, listen, if you know Jesus, then you know someone probably who doesn't. How many of you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay, now keep your hands up. Let me see. So so if you don't have your hand up, everybody you know is a Christian. Wow, that's amazing. You need new friends. You have to cultivate people outside the faith. You can put your hand down, guys. You have to cultivate people outside the faith. People you work with, people to go to school with, people you run into at the store, wherever you go. We had a young gal come in from the coffee shop, Jesus in the coffee shop, and one of our staff members brought him into church on the, on the first service. You just gotta, you gotta go up and be a little bold, amen? Bold for Jesus. How many of you think you can invite one of your lost friends or somebody's out of church to come to church next week with you? Raise your hand. How many of you think you could do it? If you worked really hard, Okay, lift your hand up. Okay, now look around. Look around. Oh, yeah. You gave me the, the fist pump there. I like that. It's a good Romanian thing. I like that. All right? Had a dream about Romania last night. I'll tell you about it. But, um, okay, so here's what we need. So we were with the mayor this week, Eric and I were, and he offered to fly the helicopter and drop the eggs. Now, let me tell you, I don't know if you know that's how big that is. That's big. We have such a great favor with the city of Anaheim. And he got so excited about the whole thing. And I want you to know the reason that we we do this is not because it's a fun little cute thing with eggs. The story was illustrated uh, by a pastor who told me this this story last week. I actually heard it on a DVD. That he went to this, kept going to this restaurant with his wife, and he would leave a, a generous tip and a little booklet about Jesus, but he never, the waitress or waiters never said a word. And one week he decided just to blow it up and put a $50 bill in this little booklet. Now, you know, if you're waiting on a table, somebody gives you a $50 bill for a $20 check, it gets noticed. So the next week they went in and she went up to him and said, I read that book and I got saved. Then I called my husband up and he got saved. What do you mean you called him up? Well, he's in jail, he got saved. Then we shared that book with three or four more other people and they all got saved. Let me tell you something. You know what that $50 did? It got people into the kingdom. What I'm saying is to get noticed, sometimes you have to do something unusual. 
sometimes it costs a little bit of money. Do you know that when we drop those eggs, I mean, 25,000 eggs sounds like a lot, but I want you to know, little kids don't even have to bend over to pick up eggs. They don't even stop. They can pick up eggs on the run. Last year, we had kids coming back crying because they didn't get any eggs. That's why we're doing 25,000 versus 5,000 we did last year. But let me tell you why we do it ultimately. Because we're going to be there. Hopefully, you'll be there. Our staff will be there. Volunteers will be there. We're going to be there inter just intertwining ourselves in the crowd, telling people about Jesus, inviting them to come back that night, Saturday night. We're having a, sunny, a Saturday night and two Sunday morning for Easter. Come back here to church. And I, I, want, I want to be the first to announce to you that night we're going to have the Voices of Hope. We're confirmed on that, right? All right. Voices of Hope, who are on America's Got Talent. There'll be 75 of those kids here singing that night. If you've never heard them, it's amazing. Um, I'm going to try to convince uh, our worship team, our Influence Music, to sing a song that's going to be on the album. We won't live stream it, I promise. But just so you, we're going to, I, I haven't convinced them yet, but we're going to work on it. Then we're going to have a fun zone for kids. We're going to have uh, food. We're going to have a great night on Saturday night. It's going to be a great night for you to bring friends. And then Sunday morning, another great night. Michael Ketter and our Influence uh, music team going to be leading worship. It's going to be a great time. But all of these happen so you get to do something. Amen? All right. You excited? All right. Tell your face I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. Hey, guys, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bring someone with you. Have a great week in the Lord.